0: Welcome to Maker Skills: Exploring Your Internal Toolkit with PJ Tanda and Tom. Welcome back, everyone, to episode 27. I think that's another prime number. Am I wrong on that? I think, I think that's right. Yeah. Or is there some famous
1: three? Not nine times three is 27.
0: Yeah. Other than nine times three, it's prime. God, man, it's, tell. Math is my strong suit. Yeah. Near prime. No, it's like <laughs> it's like anti-prime. Could be maybe Optimus Prime. I don't
2: Optimus know. Prime. Iron Man's suit is my strong suit.
0: Just saying. That sounds about right. Um, like an octopus. Our topic today is drawing, you know, like with crayons, pencils, and stuff. Tom, what skill class is drawing?
2: Uh, drawing's a negative three.
0: And how did we arrive at that?
2: Oh, uh, so it's one of those skills that you don't get to decide whether you want to do or not. There are times in life where you have to draw whether you want to or not. So it lands on the negative side
0: of the spectrum for those reasons. All right. Time to talk about drawing, Tanda. What did you find in your drawing research?
1: Well, I researched computer-aided drawing, and I and thought that was really interesting just how far back um, computer-aided drawing goes. And just like people drawing, I mean, I think we have this need to... To draw, to express ourselves, and to design and build things. That shortly after the beginning of the computer era, um, you know, as soon as there was there were graphic screens, there were people making CAD programs. And so some of the early um, people and that were involved. One guy named Patrick Hanratty um, developed Pronto in 1957, which was basically to draw things for NC machining, which was brand new, and the concept of actually drawing something on the computer as a precursor to making it. And I think it just speaks to how innate our, um, you know, kind of sense of drawing things, whether it's a cave painting or, or CAD system, any, any new technology that comes around, we immediately try to start using it to, to draw with if it's if it's something that um, is a is a technology that is foreign to us, we basically start sketching with it to figure out how to use it, and that's true of you know 3D printers and printers and printing presses and and things. It's like the the first thing you do is is start doodling with it.
0: Sidebar, Tom. Yeah, didn't didn't you say last week that CAD was computer aided design? Yes. She just said it was computer-aided drawing.
2: I would defer to
1: her knowledge.
0: No. Oh. Okay.
1: All right. I'm just double checking here. All the time. Every time. I think it's com- computer-aided doodling.
0: What was that voice? Did you hear voice, Tom?
2: Uh, yeah, I think there's some interference. I think we're picking up another radio channel.
0: That's probably probably what it is.
2: Because we're in a sidebar. Yeah. And you're not supposed to be able to hear anybody else in a
1: sidebar.
0: I didn't think so.
2: When they're not invited into the sidebar.
1: Oh, oh, oh Tana's, Tana's, come come back. Back. Tana's come back. Tana's <laughs> back. Tom, Tom didn't. Tom didn't hit the right button again. I, I heard all of that. Oh, I yeah. had your back. I'm just saying. I yeah, had your back. Yeah. Dang it. But uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, we could, we could call it computer aided doodling, or computer aided drafting, um, or computer aided design.
0: I get the feeling that's one of those catch all terms. So we're, we're just going to roll with it.
1: It's like one of those acronyms that meant something else, and then that just didn't seem as uh, as marketable. So in the future, they they changed it. I think there's a word for that, for an acronym that, that gets changed over time to keep up with the times.
0: Probably is. I don't know what it is, though. And you know who definitely doesn't know who it is? Tom,
1: hmm. what is your
0: uh, research on drawing?
2: Oh, on drawing? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, I didn't do traditional research but by traditional you mean you didn't do any well I if that's your definition I guess I guess that's what we have to go with here it is your show after all
0: uh, <laughs> come on Tom it's our
2: show uh, oh thank you thank you uh, actually I no, that means I'm liable and I don't think I want any well so anyways um years ago 12 12 years ago
0: 11 years ago did I ever talk about Pompeii on this channel? On this uh, podcast, I don't think so. Um, I think you might have mentioned it once. You and your wife went to Pompeii.
2: Yeah, I think I did it in the before we started recording stuff. Anyways, I'm going to talk about it briefly. But we went to Pompeii uh, in Italy, and Pompeii was covered by a, vo- a volcano, Mount Vesuvius. Like instantly, it was a I forget what kind of type of volcano it was, but it was like an explosive one, and basically everybody died within like. M- I don't know, an hour, minutes, something like that. And everything was kind of encapsulated and frozen in time.
0: Um, I I have a quick question, Tom. Um, How many different kinds of volcanoes are there? I I thought there was only one kind of volcano.
2: No, there's no, no, legit. There's like, hold on, types of volcanoes.
0: For those of you that aren't aware, I just tricked Tom into researching.
2: Son of a (laughs) Shield... (laughs) composite volcanoes shield
0: volcanoes lava domes wait shield has uh, volcanoes some i guess so i did i wasn't aware of that that what nick fury has a volcano somewhere i do lots of research pj
2: it's just usually done during the show
0: i can't argue that
2: <laughs> um uh so anyways pompeii awesome i don't know what i don't know when it was mm, uh, i don't know 0 bc or 0 ad whichever way you want to say it um And inside on the walls in some of these places are drawings that have survived because a lot of it got preserved by the volcano. Uh, Fortunately, unfortunately, a lot of the drawings are actually pornographic of um, of brothels. But it's like it's incredible to see these drawings that were done
0: so long ago. I don't I don't think I've ever heard of a pornographic brothel.
1: Now I'm intrigued. (laughs)
2: Huh? <laughs> like Pompeii?
1: As a, as opposed as opposed to those like uh, PG thirteen brothels, the ra- the rated R brothels. It was redundant. I take it back.
0: Seventy nine. No, sixty nine.
2: Okay, so it was it erupted in seventy nine, like not nineteen seventy nine, just seventy nine. No, no numbers before that. Oh, yeah, August twenty fourth. If you really want to get into it, but. It was really cool to see that stuff like live in person. I I remember in one of these rooms, there was a mural on the entire wall, call it 15 feet wide, 10 feet tall. And it was of an African lion, which was significant because they were nowhere near Africa. And for that knowledge to make it all the way to Italy from Africa and be painted on the wall is just kind of a cool i mean that was the internet of their day that wall Mm. but that's all i got i hope that was interesting enough to get away with not doing research i'm sorry i apologize
0: do you have any idea like how they actually drew on the walls like what they used
2: no i don't remember that i don't think that was answered i don't think it was asked um what would what would early I'll research that while you're talking if you'd like. I'll research uh what kind of paint they used. You think it was latex? Uh, you know what? It was probably lead paint. That was actually cool. There you could see I'm
1: thinking it was probably lion's blood.
2: <laughs> it was yeah. from Africa. Yeah,
1: that's that's what what they brought the lions over for. So Pompeii was plagued with lead poisoning
2: because they used plumbing and they made pipes out of plumbing. It was like a very early adaptation of plumbing. And you could still see lead piping, like it popping out of the roads and stuff um, around Pompeii. It was really neat.
0: That's that. I didn't think that there was plumbing back that far.
2: I'm pretty positive I
0: remember this information correctly,
2: but I will. I'm open to debate and
0: just being flat out wrong about things. Now it makes me wonder what the Pompeii plumbers were called. I think you just named them. Well, shaggy darn.
1: There was just one. it was just one guy. His name
0: was Bob. No, it had to be Pete, Pete the Pompeii plumber. Really? I think so. Or I don't know. What what were Pompeii's named? Plum Pete doesn't make any sense. Maybe his name, what's, what's, what sounds, Pi. Never, never heard of a Plum Pete. Pi sounds more like an Italian name. So his name was Pi the, the Pompeii plumber? Well, could be. We're going to run with that since, you know, Tom can't actually verify it. Moving right along, I, of course. Oh, real
2: quick, real quick. I caught it. All right, hold on. You you can talk in a second. Uh, paints were made by using the ground pigment with gums or animal glue, which made them workable and fixed them to the surface being decorated.
0: Fascinating. Ground pigments. Yeah, I don't know what pigments are though. Or ground ground like ground up pigments or pigments made from the ground. Probably ground up minerals
2: and such. Ground. I think it's ground pigments, not from the ground. I'm sorry, I read that. Probably a little wrong.
1: Although most of them probably were from the ground because there aren't many, many pigments just floating around in the air. They were from the
0: ground. They were ground, ground pigments. You sure they didn't catch them with nets while they
1: were flying by? I'm pretty sure. I I mean, I suppose there are plant pigments and and sea pigments.
2: I'm not a doctor, but I'm guessing, I'm guessing not.
0: (laughs) The doctor pigments. (laughs) I'm not a pigment doctor, but I play one on I'm a podcast. A pig- <laughs> all right, all right,
2: PJ. Sorry, I cut you off. Go ahead.
0: Oh, now I got anything important to say. <laughs> I looked up drawing superstitions. Because, you know, that's what I want to know.
2: Don't drop your pencil on a pair of scissors on a Tuesday. Otherwise.
0: Your eraser will fall off. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't find any. There was no... Oh, I, I well, all, all it gave me was literally sites about pe- people drawing superstitions like they were making oh. an image of a superstition I'm like that's not what I want so then of course I look for fun facts I'm not going to look up the history of drawing because nobody really wants to know that you know probably all it goes beyond Pompeii you know cave drawings and all that stuff so I looked up fun facts and I got 10 reasons why drawing is good for you like Like vitamins, I guess. So, the first uh, reason it's good for you is visualization. Drawing helps us to map out mental images of what we see, it's helping you to translate what you see through your brain into your hand. And, um, you know, if you think about it, that's kind of what drawing is. Drawing is translating, you know, eye to hand coordination, which brings us to number two, which is coordination. Uh, drawing works the same way with fine motor skills as basketball does. You know, you practice shooting your hoops and you get better and better. You practice your coordination with a pencil and you get better at drawing. Number three is cerebral benefits. Sounds very heady. Uh, our brains get a temporary endorphin release from diversions like drawing. Does anybody know that? You, you can actually get high.
2: No, but... There is, I don't know what kind of art it's called, but it's basically just like circular pattern art is how I would describe it. Mm-hmm. And if you just like start in the center of a page and start building a circular pattern out and out and out. Like a Mandela. It's like a very therapeutic. What? Like a Mandela. I think that's what it's called. What did you say? Mandela? Mandela. Or medalla? Mandela. One of those. Drawing? I think you're right. Well, that Google failed me there. It brought up Nelson
0: Mandela, didn't it?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I saw that coming. But yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's a very therapeutic exercise and it can be calming and other benefits. So that
0: I've heard of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, number four is analytical skills. Uh, when you're drawing, whether you're conscious of it or not, you're making decisions about what you are drawing based on what you're seeing or thinking of. So this helps your reasoning based on what you're thinking of versus what's actually making it to the page. Number five is concentration. Uh, I don't think this one needs a whole lot of explanation. If you aren't really focused on what you're drawing, it's not going to come out that good. So you really got to concentrate in order to get something that looks like, well, like anything, you know, unless you're just scribbling. Number six is understanding. Uh, Drawing allows you to better understand subject matter. And what that means is Drawing a three-dimensional object is very difficult. What you need to be able to do is to break down the object into flat shapes because you are drawing it on a flat piece of paper. And that has to do with understanding what you're looking at. And again, converting it into shapes which also need to be shaded in order to give it more three-dimensionality. Number seven is developing an eye. Uh, Some people believe that artists see differently and while that may or may not be true, um, they're very, very good with practice at picking up on proportions, relationships, and compositions, which make them good judges of tonal relationships and distances of things. Um, and if you've ever seen you know, something that is disproportionately drawn, like, I don't know, something a three-year-old would draw, you understand what that means. Number eight is communication. Uh, Drawing is a visual language of symbols, and this is evidenced pretty much on every single continent on the planet. Uh, This was a way of communicating, but if you were going from uh, one place in the world to another place, you could easily draw symbols to represent what you're trying to say if you didn't know the language, and that was a form of communication. So there's that. Number nine is mental attitude. Uh, Many people feel very at ease when drawing. And it's often used in therapy and stress relief uh, in many, many different um, forms of therapy. And I said therapy twice, but you get what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Uh, Number 10, probably the most important one, drawing for pleasure. So people enjoy drawing and that's why most of them do it because they like it, whether they're good at it or not, it's fun to do. So that's all I got guys. This is just a short list. I like it. You've just entered the dealer's corner where bargains are currency. Prepare yourself. Well, the winter is definitely over, as is evidenced by the fact that Tom totally crushed it this week. So much so, I decided not to get anything just so that Tom could take over the segment. Go for it.
2: Perfect. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a good decision because I'm going to embarrass you a little bit if you went before me and told me about your sad deals. Uh, It's not a competition, though, PJ. Don't worry about it. So I didn't write down the days that I did this, but it was this week. I went to pick up a $30 bandsaw. It's a 14-inch bandsaw. It had no motor, and it was off-brand, but $30 is the right price. So I went to meet a guy named Andy. And Andy is 70s, 70 years old or so. He has lived on this piece of property his entire life. And, uh, we got to talking a little bit, but let me just tell you what I bought from him. I bought the bandsaw and he said, I've got other things we're moving and I need to clear out my shop. He had a two car garage and he was a woodworker, is a woodworker. Once a woodworker, always a woodworker. So I bought a rigid oscillating belt sander. You guys know what those are? Very popular. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. I had one a while ago that was a gray older model. That was hot garbage. I'm taking another chance because this one was cheap. So I bought that. Uh, I bought a one-inch Delta belt sander. It's a tiny little belt sander. I honestly think I'll only ever round over the edges of dowels on it because that is a thing I do often. A a set of Craftsman drills in like a big blister pack. Not blister pack. What are the... Blow-molded. Blown... Blow-molded case molded things. Yeah. Um, but I didn't even buy those for me. Uh, there's a kid that likes to make stuff, uh, in my church. He comes over a lot, helps me out. I try and pay him to do things around the house and yard. So like a 15 year old has no other way to get money. So, um, I bought those for him. He's been wanting a set of drills and the guy said he just bought new batteries for him. So that's cool. There's one other item, but it was a separate deal. I bought all of that for $230. I should be able to put a motor on the bandsaw and sell the, just the bandsaw for 230 bucks. So that was, the, that was the goal. And then he said, well, I have a few more tools. And we went to the neighbor's house, which is, they live on a corner. So uh, one house is on one side of the corner and one house is on the other side of the corner. And we walk over to the garage and he opens the garage and there are a lot more tools. He, I, immediately I see a Delta Unisaw, the same exact saw that I currently own. It's a 1947 Delta Unisaw with the goose egg motor cover, oh, which yeah. <laughs> that motor cover. It's a cast iron motor cover. There is nothing special about it, like in reality, but those go for 250 to 350 on eBay alone. Like there's just it's a rare item because it was an option from what I understand. I could be wrong, but it was an option when you purchased the saw back in the 40s and 50s. So that I did not get a screaming deal on, but I wanted it for me.
0: I paid 450 for that saw. Uh, I would say 450. Those eggs are incredibly hard to come by without being on the saw, and I have seen them go as high as 400.
2: Right. Right now, I didn't make the decision based on like resale, obviously, because I do want to keep this and put the two saws together. I would say 450 is like the right price for a really good saw, like a really good Unisaw. I would say 250 is a deal, and I would say 650. I spent 750 on my first one, but let's not talk about that right now. Um, but that's a good price. Uh, he was a toolmaker, and I said, oh, like a a machinist. And he said, no, a (laughs) toolmaker, which I think he was very proud of being a toolmaker versus just a machinist. Like, machinist is the general term. He machined a zero-clearance insert out of, like, almost three-quarter-inch steel, solid steel. Uh, and, And in that insert, which is like the oval shape thing, that's not an oval. What shape is that?
0: It's a throat plate. It's, it's basically like a pill. Yeah. It's a pill it's a, shape.
2: It's a, a pill shape. There you go. It's like a pill shape. And then in the pill shape where the saw actually comes through the, the insert, he put a long rectangle of acrylic. And he gave me like 20 to 30 replacement acrylic pieces. That's awesome. And there are, it's so cool. And there are two of them. I have two of these inserts made out of solid steel. So that was like that's really what I wanted. Like I, <laughs> I joked with him, I was like, I would have I would have paid you four fifty for those.
1: And your saws identical, so you can put one of the inserts in your existing saw.
2: Yes, identical saws, like bolt for bolt, literally. So I kind of, you know, as far as dealer's corner goes, I overpaid for that a little bit, right? Uh, but that's okay because I made a lot of money this week on the fifty dollar uh, metal lathe. That I talked about, I think, two weeks ago, right? Mm-hmm. All right. So after looking through that, it I decided that the lathe was too far gone to restore and resell. So I jumped on Facebook. I joined the Atlas Craftsman lathe group and posted a picture of the lathe sitting on my driveway. And I said, hey, guys, uh, this one's got to get parted out. It's too far gone. There's, you know, there's a lot of good parts on it, but there are too many bad ones for me to try and fix it. I got like eight or nine guys that like within an hour that wanted eight or nine different parts of this lathe, which was amazing. So the next morning I woke up, I wrapped up the big double pulley Mm -hmm. um, for like the, that goes between the motor and the lathe itself. uh, And a oil stopper, I'll call it. It's just like a tiny little thing that plugs an oil hole. Uh, I shipped those off for eighty-seven dollars uh, before shipping, so it was like seventy bucks, seventy bucks out back from my fifty-dollar lathe. And then a guy from Long Island drove up around one o'clock, and he bought the reversal gearbox for two hundred and fifty dollars. He bought the apron for two hundred dollars, and then he saw the four-jaw chuck and bought that for a hundred bucks. So I'm up. Five hundred and
0: twenty bucks on this, Tom. Um, I, I want to know how did you how did these prices come about? Like, did you did they start throwing prices at you, or did you just offer them uh, at those prices?
2: I offered them at that those prices, and where I got them from was a little bit of eBay, but mymachineshop.net dot is um is a used parts guy. It's one guy, and he supplies a lot of parts. So I looked up similar parts on there, and and probably did like. 75 80 percent of what he was charging so like he had that reversal gearbox for 300 so i said 250 expecting honestly i was expecting a little bit of negotiations but the guy just paid it because he needs it
0: hard to find
2: it is so those two deals combined i'm like in the whole 100 bucks 120 bucks and i have a unisaw and all those other tools so that's pretty good
0: and you still have parts left to sell
2: yeah oh so the first deal was i forgot to name them The first deal with Andy was called Andy's Toy Closet or Toy Box or something, like from Toy Story. Uh, The second was just the $50 metal lathe update. And then the third one, well, I haven't named it yet. The third one was, ooh, hold on, give me two seconds.
0: This is what happens when we let Tom run with an entire segment.
2: Yes, it's mine. Leave me alone. (laughs) Uh, All right, I don't have a name. You're going to have to name it. So start thinking about a name for this, all right? I snaked a deal from another buyer on Facebook marketplace. I told the guy I bought another metal lathe. I'm just going to like put that out front. I bought another metal lathe. It's a Logan 200 is the model, uh brand and model. The guy dropped the price from 600 to 275 and I didn't see it at 600. I, uh, I saw it when it was 275 and I looked at it and I'm like, Oh, it's broken. Like he's posting that it's got problems. It's missing the tail stock and things like that. And I started reading his description, which was incredibly long and detailed. And I go, Hey, would you take 200? I, I understand some things are broken, but whatever. And he said, uh, yeah, but I got, I got two guys ahead of you. You're number three. Um, so I'll let you know. I was like, Oh crap. I go, I go, you know, I read your description more. It sounds like there's a little bit more there than I thought. I'll pay the 275. Does that bump me up at all? He goes, well, you're number two now, (laughs) uh, (laughs) which was great. And I go, all right, how do I become number one? And he's like, well, the guy said he's coming at one o'clock. So I'll let, you know, he's, you know, he's supposed to be here. And that was like a half an hour away. Like, uh, it was 1230. So I wait and I'm patient and 1 o'clock rolls around. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to text him yet. I'm just going to wait. So one thirty rolls around and I go, hey, did I get lucky? And he goes, well, he's not here yet. Uh, I'm going to give him another 10 minutes. Which means the guy wasn't communicating with him. So I was hopeful. I started getting my tools ready. I grabbed my socket set, my go bag. And uh, sure enough, the guy doesn't show. He says, go ahead. And uh, I drove 25 minutes or 28 minutes or so to pick up the lathe and... The lathe is exactly as described. It's missing the tailstock. The teeth in the gears are broken. Like some of them are broken. However, I can make my money back on one set of tooling. He had 50 3C collets. Collets hold tools or work. And he had 50 3C collets. You can't buy 3C collets anymore and a lot of old lathes use them, including my own South Bend lathe. On eBay, they uh, there's a guy selling like sets of 30 for $300. Just to give you a reference here. Wow. Yeah. There was also like three, four draw bars. Uh, one of which I hope I can make work for my South Bend. But the coolest thing was, in fact, a tailstock, but not a traditional tailstock. It was a six-tool turret-style tailstock.
0: Why don't you describe what that uh, that actually looks like and
2: does, Tom? I'm, I'll do my best. So a tailstock sits on the right side of the lathe, and it points towards the spindle, right? And this has a giant lever pointing at you if you're standing in front of the lathe, and it moves right to left, left to right. Instead of the the tailstock with the pointy thing pointing at the spindle, there is a turret a six-sided turret about the size of a softball so maybe five inch four inches five inches round
0: um so like a like a like a five inch donut with six slots
2: yeah yep and each slot you can shove a jacob's chuck so the reason this is cool i'll keep describing it but the reason this is cool is you could put six jacob's chucks you could start with a small drill a medium drill, a big drill, and then a reamer and a chamfer bit. And as you push the lever, I don't know which way it goes. I'm going to just make it up. As you push the lever towards the the lathe, the whole contraption slides towards the headstock to drill. Like a drill press almost. Only the bit's not moving, the, the workpiece is moving. And when you pull it back, it ka-chunks in the most satisfying way. And the whole turret shifts one position automatically. So you can drill with, you know, size one, ka-chunk, drill with size two, ka-chunk three, ream it, chamfer it, whatever else is going on with it too. Um, It is a cool freaking tool. So that was all part of this. There was a lot more in that tooling. I think there were like five five trucks, three draw and four draw trucks. There was a face plate. There was some other stuff. I haven't even gone through it all yet, but I scored pretty big. I mean, 280 bucks I paid for, I didn't say that yet. Did I 280 bucks for all this? Um, that was, it's a big investment, but it'll pay off very easily and very quickly.
0: I mean, basically you you bought all the tooling that you were missing from all the other lathes you have.
2: Yeah, and well here's the thing, all those chucks fit like almost all of those lathes in that class. So all of the tooling for this lathe fits my South Bend lathe, which is awesome.
0: That's awesome. Right.
1: Yeah, there's always there are always going to be people out there looking looking to get into machining and looking for a lathe and and they just never lose their popularity it seems. Right. The lathe I, I was I was kind of distracted. I was looking through an auction that just closed here um to see if I could find it and I didn't see it, but there was a lathe identical to the one you parted out and it was at $2200. Oh my gosh. Um I mean it was it was intact. Yeah. Um but it was at $2200 when I saw it earlier the today and the auction closed at six with a soft close and so i was going to look and see what it is but it was more than 2200 dollars.
2: that's insane
1: so they're just always perpetually people out there willing to pay for them you know there's a
2: lot of nostalgia around that stuff it's like the lathe you know for for like the old guy i'm gonna just stereotype here but like the old guy was like well i learned on this lathe when i was in high school in 1970 you know like I hope I went back far enough. That's 50 years. That should be okay. Uh, <laughs> um, and then there's like me who wants to get into it, right? Like there's a lot of categories of people that are interested in these things. And it's just a cool community too.
1: I think there are also people that don't know. I mean, it, it's that are just unaware of new machinery or modern day more modern day machinery. And so they just assume Mm -hmm. that whatever they're paying for a vintage lathe, even if it's $2,500, is a better deal than any new lathe out there because they're buying an an old piece of equipment. And so I think there are people that, without even checking, that just assume that, well, it's going to be, whatever a new lathe costs, this is bound to be cheaper. This is like a 1940s lathe.
2: Ah, yeah. Sometimes that's true. I mean, a new... Like small benchtop lathe is a couple grand, right? Like a small one, you know, like a two foot lathe or less, just to give you a, a scale. Um, but the uh, honestly, the old stuff is really good.
1: It is. I mean, it's it's worth the money. Yeah, it's certainly worth the money. It's just
2: you have to you have to inspect, right? Well, it's definitely not worth twenty two hundred dollars. Let me tell you that. COVID has made the market go insane about that stuff. Just absolutely insane. And I love it so. Like I'm considering selling my res- fully restored South Bend that I absolutely love, and just like waiting five years and buying another one for a hundred bucks,
1: <laughs> or or waiting a few weeks. I mean, it sounds like you you have yeah, right you have deals yeah, it's popping true. up. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. Tom, don't yeah. forget
0: you're you're supposed to be finding me a fifty dollar lathe that works. Remember?
2: No, this was two eighty. I'm sorry, buddy.
0: I know I'm I'm saying don't forget and that one's broken I told you I need I need one that works not not one to part out Yeah I need I need something uh. that's that's working not too big you know looks sexy comes with some tooling does mis- you know
2: That the tooling is the thing I'll tell you what if you if you ever come across a decent amount of tooling just buy it even if you don't have a lathe if it's a good deal buy the tooling
0: So the weird thing is up here in Pennsylvania um, first off I've haven't seen hardly any lathe deals. I mean, there are lathes for sale, but the cheapest I've seen one, I think is around five seventy five. Most of them mm-hmm. are up over a thousand. and the I would say probably almost every single one I've looked at, there's zero tooling. It's just the lathe, and I'm just like, right. come on, really? You know, so it's it's yeah. not even worth it like it's the the tooling alone would cost you double or triple with the lathe you're buying a lathe for so i'm just like nah i just gotta wait right
1: i think there's a better chance of getting tooling at like an at an auction or an estate sale just because mm-hmm. people recognize the lathe for what it is but this same sale that i was following today there were like metal tool bins includes everything in the bin and then they showed it with the drawers open and there were um tool holders with you know insert nice insert tool holders and stuff in the drawers but mm-hmm. people don't recognize that, you know, it's just a drawer full of stuff. Looks like junk. And so I think I think if you're looking for it, it you know, you can come across tooling. But here at least, it seems like if a machine goes on sale, it, it gets a market price. Uh, there don't seem to be yeah. any, like, sniping people. Yeah, I snipe these for sure.
0: It's better off if you can get it as um, what somebody thinks is just extra stuff. That's that was what Tom's deal was was he bought this broken lathe and all the tooling was just extra stuff that went with the lathe. The guy didn't think of it as separate, it all went together. And that's where those right. deals come in, you know. It's it's I I think you could definitely get them at auctions and estate sales, but it's separated. When you're at the estate sale, you're not getting a lathe plus all the tooling. As so I've seen, I've been at auctions where they separate every tool out from the tooling and sell them one piece at a time. And I'm like, oh, good Lord. I'm not getting a deal here. It's not happening.
1: Right. Yeah, the place I used to work, right. they sold a big Toyota mill, CNC mill, that we used to use for making big steel parts. And they separated, it had this giant tool holder. I, I don't know what this um, tool gantry, uh, it was like the kind of like the oval shaped, like racetrack. And they took all the tools that out of that and sold them all separate and they were like a 50 um like a cat 50 because it was such a big machine and so they sold the machine with no tooling and then sold the tooling and so it was like you know somebody was going to have to spend a fortune to tool Mm -hmm. that machine back up and but i guess somebody got you know a good deal on the tooling but
2: yeah Uh, just to encourage people because we're kind of you know i don't want to think people it's impossible to get tooling I bought some cheap, you know, Chinese tooling from Banggood. Um, I bought, you know, a, a ER-32 collet holder that goes into my Morse Taper 3. And I got a whole set of standard collets. Um, I think it might have been $80. Bucks. Uh, as long as you inspect them when you get them and make sure they're not trash, uh, which they can be, you're going to be fine, especially for the type of work I do, you, you know, most of us do and since then i've i've bought a few more sets of collets but it's it's reasonable when you do it that way what the market that i am attempting to tap into is the the kind of the collector and restorer market where they want they want the original stuff and that's that's the bigger money
0: were those deals hot enough for you. You got a sizzling deal that's burning a hole in your pocket? Send it in. Maybe we'll read it on air. All right. It's time for personal history. Tanda, what's your personal history with drawing?
1: Oh, that's a hard one because it's like you're you're tempted to just say, well, you know, I just picked up a pencil and started scribbling when when I was a kid. Um, I've always had a fascination with, with drawing and have, like, purchased books or sought out instruction in drawing a number of times just because I don't think I'm really good at it and could get better at it. But I really enjoy drawing. I mean, I tend to draw out at least enough of my ideas uh, to kind of lock them in. And it's kind of my way of taking notes. It's kind of a, a visual way of taking notes. And I'm much more likely to draw a little sketch of something. To remember it than I am to actually take notes about something. And so I, I, I took drafting in high school um, because I just thought it was really cool to be able to put ideas and, and drawings on paper. My mother had a drafting kit um, that got handed down to me after she passed away when I was little. And, and maybe there was some connection there. And so I thought it was really cool that she had drawn this dream house um, that her and my father were going to build someday. And uh, so I've just always been fascinated with, with drawing mostly mechanical stuff, not, not like art, but uh, like drawing ideas that become, you know, mechanical things or electrical things.
0: There's a name for that. I'm trying to remember exactly what it is. It's a uh, technical drawing. Uh, there's another name, I think.
1: I suppose technical drawing or, or I mean, I, drafting is what it would have been called, you know, back in the day or technical design. It, it, that's the kind of drawing that appeals to me, kind of uh, geometric things, uh, more more so than organic things, although I you know, certainly tried to draw scenes and so forth, but...
0: All right. All right. Well, that's still drawing. That's some good stuff. You know, you draw what you want and not everybody draws the same things.
1: And these days I draw a lot on the computer and I have a friend that, um, is a really good artist and he got one of the new, um, I think it's the iPad. It's whatever the latest iPad is and a, and a drawing program. And it it has this stylus, and it has all of these moves you can do with the stylus. And I've been following him on Instagram. Um, and maybe I'll give him a shout out in the short and sweet. But his drawings, he's sketching it in pencil, and then he's kind of filling it in like you would with a with a colored pencil to kind of get some shading ideas. And then he's going back and and coloring it and doing washes and stuff. I was following the progression of this drawing. On Instagram, thinking he was drawing it on an artboard, which i which he does he um, I go by his his shop quite often and just drop in and and chat and it was entirely done on the iPad and I would have sworn every stroke of that was done on a on a sketchbook or on a piece of uh, cool. a piece of canvas and it was just it was really eye-opening to see the the analog. Um, between the two I mean his drawing style is exactly the same only now he's able to do it you know, twice as fast and correct mistakes and try things and undo them uh, but it was the exact same as if he was just sketching it with a pencil then kind of shading it in a little bit doing some crosshatch, doing some fills uh, it was pretty cool
0: I think uh, Adam C also just got an iPad Pro not too long ago, and he was doing the same thing. Um, His he had something his his iPad had broken, and uh, he he got an iPad Pro with an Apple Pencil, and uh, and he was he I can't it was a couple months ago I think it might have even been like before Christmas I'm not sure, but yeah he he does all his sketching and stuff on the iPad as well, Tom. Hmm. What's your personal history of a drawing?
2: Yeah, when I was younger, I was. Um, you guys don't know this about me, but I was pretty proficient at using a spiral graph. I would even consider myself at that age a spiral graphic artist. Hmm. Uh, if you don't know what a spiral graph is, it's a uh, children's toy with. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I tried. I
1: tried. I, I love. He can't graph. even
0: stay with it, folks. I he's just. He's cracking tried himself so up.
1: hard. Uh, yeah. So, so did you take? So did you take the wheel and like go around and then just kind of freeform, like just go across the guide? No, I'm not a monster. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a monster. You know, and, ma- and make it and make it your own. Make it your own work. No, I... Wait a minute. This is locking me into the same design every time.
0: For those of you that don't know, a spirograph just lets you draw overlapping circles and ovals over and over and over until it makes a oh, design. Oh, so
1: much fun, though.
0: Yeah. It's so much fun.
1: It was it was pretty cool. I mean, you had the little, like, outlines that you snapped together, and you could go around yeah. the inside or the outside of them with mm-hmm. the little gear, you know, yeah. tooth thing.
2: Oh, it was so cool. We had a really cool set when I was growing up. And then
1: you could pick different holes that gave you different uh, repeating patterns, and... Yeah. 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 And it came with colored pens. Yeah. I mean other than that, I really didn't do drawing and it's actually
2: something that I feel like I might get into like into the practice of drawing and just like draw something every day. But I just I mean I tried a few things when I was younger, it just never kind of stuck. But I I feel like growing up I was also like creativity wasn't like a thing that w- surrounded me. Like I almost as if like I wasn't allowed to be creative. That's not literal. It just like, it just wasn't something that was pushed or encouraged or I even thought I could be. Uh, And honestly, I didn't think I was creative until I was like late into my twenties. And I was like, Oh wait, that's creativity. That's not, that's not clever. That's not smart. That's creative. You know, I, I was always like a smart kid or, you know, always so good at math kind of a thing. I'm like, no, I'm creative. I, I thought of this on my own and it just never clicked for me. So with my kids, it's, it's, I try and drive that creativity. It doesn't mean they're going to draw. It just means like be creative, think of new things, think outside the box. Like that's kind of where I would like to push them. So to speak.
1: That's, that's interesting because I grew up also like, yeah, kind of devoid of art. I think, I think my mom was more, more artistic Um, But she passed away when I was young. And my dad had no hobbies, no drawing, no, it wasn't like he he listened to music. um, You know, I mean, we we listened to some music on the radio and stuff, but it wasn't like he bought albums or bought records or had a favorite artist Mm -hmm. other than just, you know, the typical, you know, popular artists of the day. And so it was really weird that, you know, I just... Until I was probably in high school and through my friends, yeah. parents, and so forth, was I ever around anyone who I would consider artistic. And so it's, it's just interesting that you have no... When you have no contact with it, you kind of don't know what defines that. Yeah,
2: and you definitely described that. It's just, like, less contact. Like, my mother played the piano wonderfully... Or play Sorry, present tense. My mother plays the piano wonderfully. So, like, it's not that I was devoid of artistry or something necessarily, but it just wasn't a focus. It wasn't a thing to strive for. Um, I, I, and I just, today I see the value in creativity because you can be, well, this is probably a bad thing. You can be an accountant and be creative, right? Like an accountant doesn't mean you're boring unless you're just boring, (laughs) right? (coughs) Like you creative accounting is probably uh puts you in jail, but
0: you get that's that sounds like my accountant tom he's he's deaf he's going through yeah. all my my sales and stuff now with a tool set. he's definitely a creative accountant that's that's the thing uh, you told me you do your own taxes no, I, don't understand. No, I, I, I can't do that <laughs> you, you just heard my math at the beginning of the episode, remember? yeah, you, you definitely don't want me doing taxes <laughs>
2: right, right. What about you, PJ? What, um, what's
0: your history? Well, unlike the two of you, um, art was sort of the one thing that was acceptably promotable in my household. My dad uh, was a trained draftsman before I was born, and he continued to—he to, he was a sheriff's officer for in, my entire childhood, and he was like best buddies with the sheriff, so he actually got the sheriff to create— A graphics unit in the department and my father ran it so he was constantly creating artwork for the sheriff's department so that's like how i grew up with him just constantly making things like like he would make um you know the uh the the decals and stuff that would go on the side of squad cars he would create all Mm -hmm. those out of vinyl like him we didn't send it out like he did it uh he did all kinds of um cartoons for the department and uh, all kinds of stuff. But then uh, I mentioned this before, he had his own um, t-shirt business, silk screening t-shirts, and he would do all of the artwork for that. So there was there was lots of that around growing up. And my brother and I were both, uh, he would bring us these giant pads, these two foot by one foot pads that he would make out of these uh, printouts, like one side had printouts on it from the courthouse and then the other side was blank And they were like, they were like, uh, not construction paper, but like cardstock. So we had these giant pads to draw on. And he encouraged us. He would just keep bringing us pads. We were like, you know, we need more. We would draw just whatever, whatever came to mind. I was always better at drawing sort of like Tanda. I was better at drawing things that were sort of mechanical. I was not very good at organic uh, organic things. I used to draw a lot of spaceships and robots and things like that um, while I was growing up. Then something happened. Um, I stopped... Uh, drawing, I would say, in my, let's say, late teens. You know, right, probably right when I got to college, I probably stopped drawing. Uh, college, I took art courses, but uh, there was no drawing; it was all painting. And so I didn't draw anything for probably over a decade. And then all of a sudden, I had this um, this opportunity to draw something. This this thing that occurred, and. I don't, I don't really, the only explanation I have is my observational skills had increased. But the thing that I drew was organic. It was not mechanical. And it looked like I had gone through uh, art school. Like the, the drawing was improved like 600% from like the last thing that I had drawn. And there was no real explanation other than I was paying more attention to things around me. Then we move a little further on and I've written a novel and I decided that it was a, it's a fantasy novel and it, there were a lot of uh, things in there that were, that didn't exist. Like I made up things in the story that don't exist in the real world. And I thought, you know what? I need to do chapter artwork for the novel. So when you come to each chapter, there's a little picture. It's going to give you like a little visual description of what's coming. And in order to do that, I kind of went back to um, what I knew growing up with my dad. He did all of his silk screening work on, uh, I can't remember, what the, what's that tan that you would know? What's the thin sheets of plastic, vellum or um, acetate? Vellum, vellum. yeah. Um, so it's yeah. basically like clear sheets of plastic. And he would draw on them with rapidograph pens. These are drafting pens that are German-made, and they come in different pen tip sizes. And they use a special ink that doesn't clog. And you can just continually draw a whatever size line you want. And and, and they, I don't think they go by millimeters. um, But like each each pen had a number on it. And that was the size of the tip. And I think a full set was like maybe 16 or 20 pens. I can't really remember. But anyway, I remembered this from growing up. And so I thought, well, you know, if I'm going to make this artwork for the book, I need to do it the right way. So I collected, I started collecting rapidograph pens and these pens go for anywheres from 15 to like $30 per pen. They're they're not cheap. So I had to really like work some some junk hunter magic on eBay and a couple other places, hunting down things and actually man and putting pens together too. They all have the the same body and then the tips are different. So I had bought a few um, used sets in order to build like one complete set, but I had some doubles. So what I did was instead of keeping or selling the double, I just took out the internals and I bought the replacements with a different tip size. So then I actually like made a full set out of I think three different sets. And I started drawing all these creatures and different things from my stories. And again, there was this huge jump in detail. I'd never done this drawing style before. Uh, If you're familiar with stippling, it's very, very common to see a long time ago. Stippling is when you see a lot of shading and gradients with dots, and the dots become more dense as the shadow becomes darker, and there's less dots as it becomes lighter. And uh, this is how I did um, all the artwork for the book, which came out, you know, Really better than I expected. That's kind of like my little history of drawing, um, with like leaps and jumps. I would take these periods where I wouldn't draw anything, and then when I would go back to it, everything was just better. Like just almost automatically, it was. Uh, it's pretty mm-hmm. interesting to me
1: personally. Yeah, I remember getting a set, and it was just a small set. I think it was five pens um, for my my drafting class it was I took like a vocational survey thing that had a variety of different uh, topics it was woodworking and drafting and jewelry making and welding and stuff all together in one year and then the next year I took just drafting for a full year and we got a set of those pins and they were definitely a prized possession I mean even a set of five was an expensive purchase Um, and the other thing was that was kind of interesting was before you could use them you had to you had to show that you could ink a drawing the old-fashioned way which was to actually mm. use a nib mm-hmm. um, with the drafting nibs and it was like it was like a little set of tweezers that were that you could open with a um, like a compass yes. but the the tip would open up and then you would use a little eyedropper and you'd put a little drop of India ink in it and then it would make a line as wide as what you would open the nib So you could open it up just a little bit and make a really thin line for like dimension lines. Or you could open it up and make like a border line that was like 50 thousandths wide. And it would go through a lot of ink. You could only make, you know, maybe seven inches of a line when it was really wide. But when it was narrow, you could draw a lot with it. And then once you...
0: Basically, it's a technical fountain pen.
1: Right, yeah, with a with an adjustable nib, so you could make it as wide as mm-hmm. you want. Yeah,
0: the good old days.
1: The good old days, and if you messed that up, you know, then you were if you were working on vellum, you could go in with a razor blade sometimes and and kind of sc- gently scrape it off. But you could always tell where you had mm-hmm. where you had messed up. Mm-hmm. So it was very very tedious. It's very
0: true. Uh, an uh, interesting side note: the the pens and when I had created the pictures because I had built the kit, I didn't have a container that would would hold all the pens. And that was at the very beginning of when I started my maker account on Instagram. So this is like four or five years ago. And I had the thing that I wanted, like I actually started my YouTube channel and everything. And the first thing I wanted to do was I had a blueberry wood that I'd been collecting and making pens out of at the time. And I wanted to take the smaller pieces of blueberry wood and sort of fuse them together with blue-dyed resin and make sort of, if you think about, almost like a log cabin box out of these smaller pieces of wood that you really couldn't use for anything else and resin. And then I was going to make like this felt-lined box for my rapidograph pens so that it would be like you know this prized possession and this really cool looking box and i still have not made the box doesn't exist
1: (laughs) yeah it's it's tom sidebar yeah yeah i'm here pj keeps bringing up blueberries i mean last week he was buying a blueberry freezer and this week he's talking about blueberry wood and everything in his shop is blue i think he has like like a blueberry growers like a wild blueberry growers and collection I think they're paying him I, I think that they're sponsoring him I think that's he's 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 doing a solo sponsorship on our show he said it's our show he said it's our show but I think the whole thing was contrived just to promote blueberries
2: oh my gosh
1: if you think about it I mean it, we keep coming back to this they're like the Smurf things in his shop. He, everything he has is blue, I think you're onto something. He bought a freezer for blueberries. He's making things out of blueberry wood
2: yeah, I agree i think
1: i think uh, uh, we we should confront him at some point at yeah, but let's not not right yeah, away No, not I no mean, he might kick us off he might no, kick yeah. us off the show right. i mean if if we're right. right let's let's wait a while and see if it plays out, but i think that's i think that's where this is going uh,
2: yeah, I think so too. Let's pay attention though.
1: Oh, he's coming back. He's coming
0: back. There he is. So PJ. And that was the last time I tried to eat the blueberry wood. It doesn't taste like blueberries. Mm. You'd think that's, it would, but that's a pro tip. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't try to eat the wood. Just stick with the berries. Well, shucky darn, I think it's time for one of them old timey commercial energy lubes and stuff. Hello, this is Chet Dunn at Johnson's Hardware. We know a lot of you people out there love to sketch, but you know what? Sometimes you make mistakes and you can't quite erase it off the page. Well, we have the solution for those of you that make tons of mistakes and want a clean page to use to keep going. Introducing the Etch a Sketchbook. That's right, just like the classic children's toy, the Etch a Sketch, the Etch a Sketchbook has several pages of paper specially formulated with a top secret Etch a Sketch formula where if you draw on the page and you don't like what you see, all you have to do is shake it really hard and fast and the graphite just flies off. And you have a brand new sheet of paper to start your sketch over again. Absolutely no lines and no eraser marks. You don't have to sweep off those little rubber boogers. Nothing. The Etch-a-Sketch book comes in five different colors and it's available in children and adult size. However, please do not shake the Etch-a-Sketch book in front of anyone that wants to keep their eyes or at least avert their eyes to avoid rapidly flying graphite. The Johnson's Hardware etch Sketchbook book is available for fourteen ninety five now at all our locations. Please contact us at patreon.com forward slash makerskills. What the heck nabbit? I need to get me one of them. Anyone know what street Patreon is on? I need to go. All right, boys and girls. It's time for crossbreeding. Tom. What skill goes well with drawing? And no, you can't say design.
2: I wasn't going to say design. Thank you very much. I'm going to say communicating. Communicating is a skill that goes well with drawing. Uh, When you are 12 years old and you are at the playground with your friends and there's a football involved, you take that football, you get into a huddle with your buddies, and you start drawing lines on the football. That is the ultimate form of drawing and communicating all in one. You
1: draw on the football or you draw on the ground? Yeah, with your f- with your finger. Oh, with your finger.
2: You take the football and you stick it on the football and you go, all right, Jimmy, you're going this way. PJ? You- all
0: right, are you drawing on it with blood?
2: Well, well, yeah. I mean, only when we play tackle, but... Uh, usually just your finger. You just you know it's a visual thing. Isn't,
1: isn't the football? Isn't the football supposed to be up at the line of scrimmage? Not in touch football on the playground. You just take the football with you. It's no big deal. Yeah. Oh. Well, and then you just walk up another you know five or ten yards ahead of where exactly. you
2: exactly. <laughs> that's literally the play that I just drew out.
0: <laughs> I I I don't play football, so I'm I'm just gonna trust that that's accurate. <laughs> PJ, what do you uh, what do you pair in here? Oh no no. No no. We're not going to meet. We're going to Tanda. Tanda?
1: What? I just got overridden? No. No, I mean PJ's got to go second sometimes. He, he does have to go second sometimes. He, you know, he always gets the uh, gets to think about his the longest. That's true. I mean, not like not like we don't know what the episode's going to be about for a week ahead of time, but <laughs> but for you and I, Tom, we we think about it uh, about the moment PJ asks. Sometimes a little after. Sometimes a little after the, the moment That's he actually
0: not the reason. The reason I was I was about to eat two macaroons and I didn't want to answer with my mouth full, so <laughs> 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 that's why I wanted Tanda to go. Mac, mac
1: macaro, macaroons pair well with macaroons with go
0: quite well with drawing. You need a tasty snack, a uh. little, little coconut goodness, you know. Oh, oh yeah. Well, chocolate macaroons are better, but I, I didn't I didn't get any of those. These are just regular what? blondies. Well, they're, they're burnt a little. I guess they're kind of brown, but um, but yeah. Going back to what uh, what Tom was asking me, what do Wait I get a
2: stall and think of something? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm gonna go with Tanda's answer, which is technical illustration, which Ooh. is when you're you know you got a a tool or some sort, some kind of equipment, and uh, they need an exploded view of that thing. Uh, they need it drawn out very specifically, and it has to be in perfect uh, proportion, all the parts. I mean, we've all seen these things. And that's like an art form all itself, of being able to, to create these things, which now they, they don't do anymore. It's all CGI. So, yeah, technical <laughs> illustration goes well with drawing. Tanda, was that your answer?
1: <laughs> well, uh th- th- no, 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 my 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 answer is the much more obvious uh, lucid dreaming. <laughs> I think I, I think that lucid dreaming goes well with drawing because uh, if you <laughs> if you haven't choked on your macaroons, he's, oh hold on, Pete, yeah, he's choking on his macaroons now. Oh crap, this is bad. Nobody can help him. We all live very far away.
0: Oh my god. Yeah. Go ahead, go ahead, Tanda.
1: Yeah, do you have a neighbor? You have a neighbor we could call if, if like you start choking, and you know we, we're just sitting <laughs> yeah, here on Zoom your, and we can't do anything. What's your about local it?
2: emergency contact?
0: Yeah, Bobby. His name
1: is Bobby. Of course, it is Bobby. I knew it. The, uh, you know, because you can. It's a good way to to like get the get the juices flowing when you're getting ready to go to bed, or you're just trying to figure out a problem. Um, just grabbing a pad and sketching it out and drawing it, kind of put some images you know, in front of you and, and kind of get you in the right, uh, frame of mind to kind of let your subconscious chew on it overnight. And, uh, so quite often I'll intentionally, even if I'm tired, I will sit down and draw something that I'm trying to design or build, uh, right before I go to bed, um, just to kind of plant those seeds in my subconscious. And on the other end, quite often when I, kind of in that kind of twilight sleep in the morning i'll i'll be kind of dreaming designing something um and to kind of record that i'll get up and maybe sketch sketch it just to record it i can honestly
0: say i've probably had the wildest dreams between the three of us because i dream every single night and and i i'm a writer there's all kinds of crazy stories i've never tried doing that before drawing before going to sleep
1: i dream things that i'm designing and it and i kind of go back and forth between kind of being being awake and and dreaming and it and it it does get kind of weird sometimes because sometimes it's just strictly like going through the motions of actually building something but i'm dreaming i'm building it but then weird things happen as they do in dreams where there are other people there, or it just takes a totally bizarre twist because you're, you're kind of dreaming it at the same time you're, you're thinking of it. So I, I think that, uh, drawing is a good way of recording, recording your ideas, whether you've dreamed something mm-hmm. up, uh, literally, or you've just, uh, um, you've made something and you need to record it. I'm finding myself needing to do that a lot more, um, with my day job because I'm building things that maybe I've done a 3d model and I've made a prototype, but I need to make drawings of it because the next one I won't make. I'll have to give it to somebody else to make, or we'll make 10 of them. You know, I made three of them. It was interesting. They liked it. I made some modifications, you know, they signed off on it and now we're going to give it to a machine shop to make 10 of them. I don't want to make 10 more of them. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to make the prototype, but now I have to document the prototype accurately enough to give to somebody else to make it. And so it's it's a good way of recording a, a history.
0: Tom, cool. sidebar. Yeah. Um, am I mistaken here? Or is is Tanda trying to pass off dreaming as a skill? Uh, she is. Uh, <clears throat> I. Uh, hmm. I don't. I don't think there's any way to learn how to dream. Uh, better, is there? Well, there's supplements like...
2: <laughs> Wait, you mean like ayahuasca? E, like vitamin E or <laughs> PCP.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, yeah. I don't recommend both of those. But, yeah, I mean, I think it's a skill. I think there are skills that you can't get better at or worse at. I think there are skills that have a fixed value. And I think dreaming might be one of those. You're just born with it.
0: Hmm. Well, there's no way to disprove it, so we're just going to have to let it slide.
2: Yeah, that's pretty much how everything goes on this show, you're right. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, pretty much. Uh, oh, she's coming back. Tanda, Ooh, that that's a fascinating process you've got going there.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah, I nodded off for a bit there and, and designed a couple things. Good <laughs>
0: evening. <laughs> <laughs> Good evening. This is Walter Walterson. It's time for the freaking Fireside Filibuster. All right, guys, we've got a a new segment for you. Uh, We realized when we were in the pre-show that we don't have a general discussion segment because sometimes we just want to talk about things that, you know, happen. And um, one of those things happens to be when you buy a tool, whether or not to part it out. Like Shakespeare says, to part out. Or not to part out. That is the question. And we wanted to talk about it because, you know, there's there's definitely a divide between everyone as to whether this is parting out as a good thing or a bad thing. Tom, I know you're parting out some things, so what is your opinion on this? I
2: I think my opinion is changing, but my opinion is don't part it out, keep it original, don't modify it, like when at all possible like keep that thing stock. It was built like that for a reason and that is how that's like what I'm drawn to. That's the direction that I am drawn to.
0: What about you, Tanda?
1: I would I would have to say I'm I'm probably on the other end of that spectrum. I when I buy a piece of equipment, it's it's my equipment. And I try not to um do something that's not, you know, that if I were to sell it would lower the value, but I'm totally okay with adding on to it, you know, drilling a hole in, it if I need to, to mount something, you know, cutting a little piece away or something, if it suits my needs to to make it work for me. But I don't buy a lot of what you would call vintage equipment or collectible type equipment either. So maybe that's But You're, you're talking
0: about modifying something from its original, um, how it was originally built in order to make it work for you better. That's not, that's not the same thing as parting it out. You know, like as, I mean, it doesn't, you don't have to have a vintage tool. Like if you buy something and, you know, you decide to replace it with another tool, then you have the option of either selling it whole or selling the parts. And in many cases, especially for vintage tools, the parts are worth more than the entire tool together.
1: Right, yeah, I mean I mean, Tom's bargain this week was certainly an example of that or the bargain from a few weeks ago that he mm-hmm. sold this week was definitely. I'm not sure I have the patience or maybe it's more of a the experience online I mean, you guys are interacting with people in Facebook Marketplace, um, in these online buying and selling communities regularly. Well, not because we want to; <laughs> we just want their money. Well, but you're, but you're, <laughs> but, but it's just an, but it's an everyday, but it's an everyday, it's thing, a habit um, for you guys, and so, so parting something out is just like a choice. I'll part it out or or not, and for me, it would be like the hassle of listing it and. And taking calls and everything, that would drive my decision more so than any tie to whether it's vintage or how much it's worth or whether it's good or bad. It would be more a case of I would just want to list this once and sell it to somebody who wants the whole thing, even if I could make more money parting it out, because I don't want to list five things.
0: Tom, I think the thing what she's trying to say is that Tanda's lazy and, and we're not.
2: No, I think what she's saying is she's an introvert and she hates people.
0: Like that. Oh yeah, yeah. That that's what I meant. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> that I said pretty the wrong, much sums it up. Said the wrong uh, <laughs> word. I meant to say introvert. Yeah, that that's correct. Yeah. Um,
2: and I get that too, though. It's a hassle. Like to part something out takes a little more infrastructure. Like you need to, like she said, you have to communicate with a lot more people. You have to schedule like shipping and things of that nature, and store this thing. And when like half of it doesn't sell, you still have half of it, and what do you do? Or Whatever, so I get that
0: too. I actually have the the opposite. Um, so I do like to keep things original. However, I have this this Delta floor model drill press that I've been restoring um, for the Universal Woodworker. When I bought it, it did not have a the the bell shaped pulley cover housing on the top of the drill press. It just it was it had fallen over and it had cracked into pieces and it just didn't exist anymore. So I needed one and to buy the housing would have cost me more than actually buying a little delta desktop or benchtop drill press which is what I ended up doing. So I bought one I think I paid I want to say $60 that sounds about right it's been a minute and I I just got lucky that the the, those pulley covers were standard whether it was a floor model or a benchtop they were the same size. And so when I took that off and put it onto um, the floor model one, now I have this incomplete bench top. And I had taken it apart and I was cleaning the pieces up and I was thinking, well, you know, maybe I'll come across a bell housing or something. And it literally kicked around my shop from, I'm gonna say August, this past August until last month. And I got tired of sort of moving the parts around and I decided, you know what? I'm gonna start listing these things on eBay. And so first I listed the base and that sold for 75 bucks. I'm like, all right, well, I'll put the table up. I put the table up, 75 bucks. Oh, oh that, that's pretty good. Nobody's going to want the drill head. I mean, it's just the drill body with no parts on it. It has the pulley, you know, the, the it's got the four speed pulley, but other than that and you know the little uh, I think it's like a thrust bushing that it rides on. There was nothing else there except the, the bolts for, like, the, the motor mount and, and the, the housing that I'd removed. Put that up, sold for $65. So I'm like, oh, people hmm. will buy anything. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to figure out, like, how would somebody break that part? That's, like, the main part of the drill. But apparently it happens. So I, I didn't talk to anyone, Tanda. Literally no one. I just put it up on eBay. They paid the shipping, which was not small. And uh, and they're gone. Parts are gone because I didn't feel like listing it on Facebook Marketplace and dealing with people. <laughs> that's literally yeah.
1: why. Right. That's literally well, why I did it that way. Maybe that's why the stuff that I have sold, I've sold mm-hmm. on eBay because uh, you know it, it is easy. Yeah. You can just list it, and if you're willing to take whatever, you know, you're not going to set a price. You're just wanting to sell it at whatever price. Well, I. W- To add to this conversation,
2: I think one of the opinions about this is like, you're ruining history, or you're dismantling history, or something like that. And I said I was changing my opinion on this because I parted out this lathe, and I've interacted with, or I've sold parts to three people, and I have a few more that I'm waiting for. But I'm going to get out of this one lathe. So far, three lathes have been made whole, right? So... I sacrificed one lathe, three lathes of mid made, made hole, and maybe two, three or four others will get the parts they need to be a better machine. So I think it's necessary.
1: Right. It's not like it's not like an either or. You just happen to be on the other side of the equation. Totally. Someone someone else is restoring something right. with these parts. So So
0: I, I got visited um last oh jeez, I remember maybe in November, October, from old timey tools. And he came up and we mm-hmm. traded a bunch of stuff. And he is, his go-to move is to part out things. And he saw, you know, I've got all the Delta bandsaws and stuff. And he's like, man, you need to part out all these bandsaws. And I'm like, these, these bandsaws are whole. They're, they're, they're like working bandsaws. There's no need to part. He's like, oh man, you're, you're going to get way more money. And I'm like, y- yeah, but then I'd be like dismantling these things that work. You know, I, if, if, if I can't fix it. I have no problem parting it out. I'm not used to it, but I have no problem. Like I now have two companion benchtop drill presses, and one of them is going to be made whole from the other one, which by the way, the second one I bought was a parts drill press for someone else that took what they wanted, and then this was what was left over. So now that is going to be like the... The the table, the base, the top, the the cover for the pulley, all that stuff will get sold. And I know I've got at least one person that wants. Um, there's a little chrome like a, like a oil cover that goes on top of the the pulley housing. And someone mentioned to me they would like to buy that um, when I bought the first one. But I said I'll think about it. And I really didn't want to give it up because then I you know then I wouldn't have it for the drill press. So now I'm I'm going to have best of both worlds. I'm going to make one whole. And I'm going to part one out because I can't fix the second one. There's just too many things gone.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So it makes a difference if you're going to keep it or, or trade it or sell it, right? I mean, if it's your own thing, like if you, buy, if you get a lathe, Tom, and you're going to use it, would you have any problem with, you know, maybe it's missing a pulley. So you just put a single pulley on it and hook it up to a VFD and make it more usable instead of trying to hunt down the original set of, of pulleys. Or and would you ever do that, and then try and sell it, or would that make it just something that people are unfamiliar with and not sellable?
2: Yes, I know there were multiple questions there that were opposite, but yeah, I don't know. I I would seek the original parts, not even original parts, but even like even replacement parts that are the same
0: or or something like that. The problem I I could see Tom's I could see Tom's process. The problem is Tanda with what you the question that the direction he's going. Those replacement parts could cost him about a third or half the price that he's paid for the tool. That's the problem. Right. It's a it's a value problem. So if you can't like, he'd almost be better off buying another entire lathe to get that part, and then selling all the parts from that lathe to pay. Because it's it's if you're buying the individual pieces, they cost more than the entire the entire thing is worth.
1: Right.
2: Yeah. So this lathe that I'm parting out, if it was one part that would have cost me like $200, two hundred, two fifty, I would have bought it. I would have fixed the lathe and I would have sold the lathe as a whole thing. I needed like four of those parts, and that just wasn't doable.
1: Well, I've thought about doing that with my truck mm. because it was a very, very popular truck, the, the Dodge, Sport, uh, with the Magnum V8 engine, and so they're they always come up. And sometimes, for whatever reason, because the engine's blown or, you know, it's got some kind of issue, they go really cheap. And so I've thought about just buying another one. So I have two, putting together a truck that I could sell for more, and then selling the parts for the other.
2: Yeah, it's a good idea.
1: That was the freakiest, firesideriest filibuster I've ever heard.
0: I am Walter Walterson. Good night. All right, kids, it's time for short and sweet. Tom, you got anything to wrap up the show? Yeah,
2: I do, actually. Uh, Real quick, Uh, hey, Tanda, sidebar, uh, PJ, yeah. sidebar? Yeah. Yeah, you're both in here, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just want to point out that I have been in way more sidebars than probably, well, not both of you combined, because, well, maybe both of you combined, because I've done a couple on my own. <laughs>
0: There, there was that one time you disappeared, Tom.
2: Yeah, yeah, uh, they're great. I just want to. I just want to. I I feel like the popular kid. I just. I'm saying that's all.
1: Tom. Yeah. Uh, you know. You realize that PJ and I are both in the sidebar. So this is just basically the podcast in a sidebar.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I'm just. I just wanted to point it out in a sidebar so I could just add one more sidebar to my tally.
1: Oh. Okay. Yeah.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Oh. oh look. Look. The podcast is coming back. Yeah.
1: Nobody's coming back.
0: podcast. That was fantastic. Tanda, do you got anything for short and sweet?
1: Yeah, I've got a couple things. Um, the, the, the guy that I was talking about earlier, who's an amazing artist and he has some really cool artwork and he does, uh, uh, t-shirts and stuff. You can find him on Instagram and it's Steve underscore Lee underscore ESQ like Esquire. And he changes his username every once in a while, but that's what it is right now. And he does some really cool stuff, and some of the the recent stuff that he's done was what I was talking about—that he did strictly digitally. And it, and you watch the progression of the piece of art, and it—you'd swear it's sketched. And the other one is Andy Pew, um, and I think his Instagram is is at Andy. I think it's Andy C Pew, and he's been doing these one line pieces of art where you like put your pencil down and and draw in one line and they're they're really amazing they're very cool Mm. so go check those out as well
2: i don't think i've seen that and i'm surprised i have to go maybe the algorithm is keeping andy out of my feed
1: i i see them oh yeah definitely go check it out they're cool i see
0: them all the time and it's uh it's it's not like it's a straight line it's lots of curves but it's just one continuous line that has no breaks in it um and he does all kinds of different shapes that form a picture so it's
1: cool stuff yeah. Do you know if he's following a, a book or something that's giving him the prompts? I mean, because he has a prompt for each uh, one, it seems. I I want to say that
0: this was part of one of those Instagram, like, not contest, but one of those things where it's like, you know, 30... Like Inktober or something? Yeah, yeah like Inktober where it's like, you know, here's draw something... Like this for thirty days, and I think it was one of those. But yeah, I honestly didn't follow that closely. To, I like I saw them, but I don't know what started it. I just I just know he was doing them.
1: Yeah, it's probably in the hashtag. I should look, but they're very cool.
0: They are very cool.
1: And and Steve's Steve's artwork is very cool. When I wear my Billy the Squid shirt, I always get comments. He's he's the uh, the artist that created Billy the Squid. Mm-hmm. So you have to go check out his page to see what I'm talking about.
0: That's sounds like a. An eight-tentacled gunslinger. So, (laughs) um, well, okay. I'm going to run with the squid and turn it into an octopus. Um, uh, If you guys have not, if you have Netflix, and you want to see a really awesome movie, I highly recommend that you watch My Octopus Teacher. And I don't normally recommend or watch documentaries, but this is a very cool movie about a guy uh, that was working in the film industry, and he burned out. And he lives in South Africa, and... He lives right near the coast, and he starts diving, um, not with a tank, just, just with a snorkel, into—they uh, have giant kelp forests, underground, underwater kelp forests there. And he starts diving every day, and he actually befriends this common—it's uh, called the common octopus. They're about maybe, I don't know, two feet long. And he starts this whole relationship— with this octopus and then ends up following it for the entire life cycle. These octopus only live, uh, they only live a year. And he videos himself and this whole relationship and all these things that he learns. And it's really, really fascinating. He basically has like a spiritual awakening because of his relationship with this, this underwater sea creature. So it's really, really fascinating stuff.
1: I, di- I didn't realize that, is that just that particular octopus? I thought octopus had, or octopi, had a much longer lifespan than that.
0: I, I, you know, I thought they did too. Um, I don't know if all of them um, live a year or if it's just these little ones. I know um, there's many different kinds, but um, I'm, not, I'm not any kind of expert. Like l- literally, I probably got exposed to more information in this documentary than I have ever known about octopus.
2: Yeah, I just googled it. It's only one or two years. Um, one of the older octopuses, three to five years. That's interesting. I didn't know that.
0: So anyway, it's it's really really um, it it may not sound right off the top like it's going to be an interesting movie, but it really is. Like if you you like you know anything having to do with animals, and this guy is he's coming from a very like technical analytical background as a filmmaker. So to see like his sort of mental transformation is also really really uh, empowering. I also wanted to bring up that we haven't had any new Patreons in a while, and we desperately need more Patreons because without you guys, we're not gonna get the help we need, and somebody's gonna have a mental breakdown. Probably me, although it could be Tom. I don't know. Tanda seems pretty stable, but um, it's an illusion. Okay, yeah, we all need counseling, and that costs money. So you know, you, you guys need to pony up. You know, give us some Bitcoin or <laughs> s- cryptocurrency, something. Uh, but yeah, go to Patreon.com forward slash MakerSkills. You know, give a dollar, give two hundred, you know, whatever you can spare. You know, we're we're not picky, and um, we'd really appreciate it. we welcome any comments please leave us five star reviews on apple so that we can make more skill madness come your way see you next time and now for some nonsense we have a we have another interesting discussion that came up regarding whether buying tools to use is justified versus buying tools for decoration. And Tom and Tanda were were very they're like polar opposites. So I'm just going to I'm just going to stop talking and let you guys go. Tanda, you you were you were on the side of the of what as far as
1: No, I think I think they're, you know, just much like our earlier discussion, I mean, you buy a tool, it's it's your tool to do with as you please. If, if you want to, to scrap it, you want to cut it up and melt it and make it into something else. I've seen people paint tools, just use them as a canvas and just paint things. on. I, I
0: think she's right, Tom. If you, you've paid for it, you pretty much can do whatever you want with it. She's got a point I, there.
1: You know, you're not wrong.
2: You're not wrong. However, well, that ends it. (laughs) I didn't say you were right. Just cut it. Just cut it. Just cut it there, PJ. I didn't say you were right. I said you were not wrong. It is yours. You do as you please, but it is a. It should be a crime to, like, buy a beautiful antique tractor, plop it in your front yard, and throw the key away there's no key and just let it sit there as lawn art like listen you want to park it in the front yard as lawn art and then tomorrow you're going to jump on it do some work and then park it back there that's fine you park it wherever you want but to just neglect it is is a crime
0: I think Tom I think Tom's right there Tanda. you really shouldn't neglect tools, especially something like a vintage tractor. I mean that's got like a lot of you know old beauty to it. you know you just you can't buy those anymore and if if you if you neglect it, it's basically just going to rust away into nothing and then you're just going to be left with a pile of you know rusty paint.
1: well, that's part that's part of it. I mean, and you could keep up with the appearance of it. you could paint it or something but but you may want to just let it let it rust in place. And, uh, you know, maybe you have intention of using it someday, or you can, you know, may- maybe someday you're, you're going to use it, but you just decide to park it right there in your front yard. I mean, it's hard to tell the difference, but I think if you like it as art, if you want to turn it upside down or stand it up on end, that's, it's your tractor. You don't have to use it as a tractor.
0: You know, Tom. They they say there's no accounting for art, and if if she says it's art, then then that's what it is. I mean, you know, I've seen like art where there's just like a toilet on a wall. So yeah, like a tractor parked in like an art parking space. That kind of makes sense.
2: Yeah, I, there definitely is accounting, and I'm accounting three tractors in my neighbor's yard that he doesn't use, and it's driving me nuts.
0: Well, if your neighbor's crazy, that's true. You, you, Tanda, he's got a point. You don't want a crazy neighbor with three tractors. I mean, that guy sounds mentally unstable. Now, if he was using the tractors, that'd be a different story. But if they're all just sitting there rusting away, I mean, this guy is
1: like one cookie away from a shotgun, you know, knocking at your door. Well, he, he is using them, though. He's he's using them. I mean, haven't you ever heard of the term arting it out? I mean, he's just, he's just arting them out. Uh, or is that parting them out? I, but... Uh, I mean, he could, he could break them up and sell them off in pieces, but you know, what if the people never actually build an entire tractor out of the pieces? And then they are just a bunch of pieces out there that are not a full tractor and they're not even being seen. They're just hidden away somewhere or they're in a dump. Wouldn't it be better to have it actually sitting where at least someone can see it and appreciate it than if he were to just, you know, scrap the tractors or sell them off in pieces and then. They're just out of sight, and they've ended their life as anything—a tractor or art. Better to be art than to be parted out and forgotten.
0: I mean, I mean, she's got a point, Tom. If, if you had like this, sounds like ninja tractors at this point. If you can't see the tractor, is it really there? I mean, that that's like some existential stuff that we have to start questioning the meaning of life. You know, it's be, You know, it's better if they're art.
2: If a tractor parks in your lawn, and no one's there to see it is it art
1: mind blow i think so i mean i think that if the tractor exists and it's a well-made tractor it's art even if it's in a shed
0: but no one's there to see it but if a tractor rolls down a hill into the forest and no one hears it crash did it really crash
1: no no definitely not
2: I, hey we we uh, we agree it, on something i, I, that's, I think that's, that's it that, right. that's our
0: answer that's our answer. So yeah. if anybody's got a tractor Totally resolved. Yeah, just just roll it down a hill and don't look. That's that's the way to go. <laughs> that was totally ridiculous.